Hebrews chapter 1. Now, it's okay for some of you, if you have a hard time finding it, you can go toward the end of your Bible and possibly start with, you know, turning from Revelation, and, and you might, you're going to pass, I um, can't remember, back to Jude, and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter. You're going to pass, you're going to also, uh, you're going to pass James, and then you come to Hebrews. You need to go the other way, start with Matthew, and work your way all the way to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. If you've been hanging around branches at all for the last couple of years, and not all of you have, we have gone through a number of books. We have gone through the book of Romans. Um, which was a heavy-hitting book that rocked our hearts. We have gone through series such as through the book of John, the Gospel of John, which is just more slapping in our face, Jesus and mission and heart. We have done an entire series on living a life on mission, together with the Topical series, where we encourage you, our people, to be on mission and how you can do that as a Christian. That all of us are without excuse. Because we know the great name of Jesus, he has put us on mission after him and after lost people. You know, we say things at branch like we don't want to be inward focused, we want to be outward focused. Yes, we want you to be disciple, and a part of the discipleship process is that we would be open and listening to how to share the good news of the gospel with other people around us that do not know the great name of Jesus. And it's so simple. It is such a simple message of God's grace that we can be able to share. And I just want to tell you, if you struggle with that, I realize that there are a number of personality differences in this room, extroverts, introverts, all those types of things. I get it. But I want you to know that you have the Holy Spirit in you if you are a Christian, and then he can help you and aid you so you can share the good news and love of Jesus with someone else. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time Sometimes you might be very afraid, terrified maybe, but I tell you what, if we can talk about our favorite pair of jeans, we can certainly talk about Jesus, because it matters for all eternity. And now we are in the book of Hebrews, okay? We're going to be going through Hebrews, and let me, let me just start by saying this. Here's, there was an interesting um, article and some news out there as of lately. Um, I can't remember when this happened exactly. It might have been last week. But basically, there was an image on a billboard of, of, of uh, man, what is it? Greg Laurie. I forgot his name. Greg Laurie. You might have heard of it. And there's this him, like, holding a microphone. It's kind of iconic, right? Microphone and, and a black book in the right hand. And oh, apparently this is preaching to him, you know. So black book. There's no cross on it. It doesn't say Bible on the book, it's just a black book, huge billboard, it was, it was like, it, uh, it might have been Irvine or Newport, I'm not exactly sure. But it was related, or ultimately owned by the Irvine Company. And, and apparently it was inspired by uh, an image from Billy Graham, where he's actually preaching one time holding a Bible, and like, you know, holding a microphone. Um, and they, they did that to advertise the Harvard Festival that they've been doing for decades now. At least I remember starting when I was at KU, you know, like you know, in high school. So apparently, if you have not heard of this yet, what has gone on is that there have been people that have taken great offense at what they saw. A man with a microphone with a black book in his hand. 
Now certainly it was it was meant to capture ideas from preaching or heralding the gospel or like the Bible. But people took offense. So much so that they pressured um, um, a company, the owner of the billboard, to remove it, and they actually took down the signs related to advertising the Harvard Reformation. Now, people were offended and there were complaints, but in addition, I don't know how many, but there was at least one alleged uh, like a threat of some sort, like some sort of maybe, maybe a death threat, I'm not, I'm not positive. But I, I, when I heard the story, when I heard the news, I heard Al Mohler talk about it, I read a little, little jot from an article, and I thought to myself, we can't possibly be surprised. We can't possibly be surprised that uh, the good news of the gospel that comes from above, which comes from God, that is being heralded by a person, we shouldn't be surprised that it would be offensive to the point of enraging some sort of image, certain, some type of threat of some sort, or, or at least complain and threaten this company in, in some way. The culture is going through some interesting things, and I tell you this, brothers and sisters, it's related, but it's a, just as a subcategory, as we are prepared as the people of God, then we should not be surprised by these things at all, that people would get offense at the good news of the gospel, or at Jesus, or his word. And why is that? Why is it that people would take such offense as that? And there is some, a number of reasons that we could probably come up with, but some of the basic reasons are this. It's that man has inherited sin and is in rebellion toward God, shaking his fist at God. And you know what? That was every single one of us who knows Jesus here today. We were in rebellion against God. But if you call yourself a Christian, if you bear the mark of Christian, then the only reason that you are not shaking your fist at God, but you love him and like him, is because he has awakened your dead hearts that know him and love him. By his sovereign grace. One of the things that we are going to see here by looking and reading the book of Hebrews is a God who speaks through his word. No wonder so many people would be offended at his word. One of the first things we'll see is that God speaks through his word. One of the second things that we will see is that God is not only speaking through his word, but that he is speaking through his son to his people. And there becomes a question of what the son, who the son is and what the son has done. And that's really the third point today, that there's not only knowing who he is, but also what this Jesus has actually done. The person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. Sometimes in theological circles, that's probably the most helpful way to understand the category. But it will not be spelled out so neatly as we read through the passage. But those are the couple of major categories that will come up. And one of the last things that we will see is an argument being made by the author that Jesus is superior to all things, including these really mighty things called angels. Now, it seems like a little curveball it's also related to the context in which this author is speaking to how they view these angelic beings, these kind of mighty beings that they know and are aware of, that the Bible speaks of, by the way. They're messengers of God. 
But as you know, people in culture can have some very confused ideas of things like that, like, like ghosts, whatever that is, and angels, and have pop culture views of those types of things, and not biblical things of them. And you know what? Here's the thing that will help us. One of the major applications as we look at this today is that we understand and we learn to go to the Bible for the measure of everything that we consider in life and understand. We go to God's word because God speaks to us through his word. And once again, I say, no wonder so many people are offended at this because it is God's word. And his enemies hate him, hate his word, and hate his people. And he certainly doesn't want us to have this or look to this. So I'm going to start by reading uh, chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. It says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And it begins, to which of the angels did God say? And we'll stop. Because that's where it leads to to make this long argument. So who is this mysterious person who writes this book? Hebrews. Is it Paul? No. It's not Paul. Now, I, I, I want us to just be aware of this, so that you know there's a certain accuracy involved. Paul, when he writes, he identifies but this particular author does not identify himself. And I just want to, want you to know that, and that's okay, because God in his sovereign hand has wanted us to have his scriptures, and we have this one as well. In fact, you can tell, you can probably tell the astute student, the non-astute student, it doesn't matter what level you are, when you hear the reading of that, it is rich and deep and robust, just like that, with a lot of things about who Jesus is, and what he has done, and who God is. Now, I want you to be aware of that, so you just, you just know. Now, we really don't know who the author is. There's no tradition that we can look to to help us. But we also know that this is the very word of God, and it has been handed to us. It is the word of God. Now, listen, once again. So, one of the first things you see is this, that God speaks long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. This is very significant as we, we work through these words. Now, this letter is called the Hebrews, right? It's called Hebrews because it's written to a particular um, group that are apparently Hellenistic. They're kind of like they're, they're the Hellenistic Jews. Their primary language is Greek. Uh, the, the scriptures that he quotes what from, and he's going to quote a lot from the scriptures. He's going to quote an Old Testament passage from a translation that was written in Greek in their particular day. It's called Septuagint. 
this one or the other hundred translations that we have. In their day, there was not many. There was like Hebrew or there was Septuagint. That was it. If you were lucky, if you could even read, you better listen well. By the way, there's a lot of English translation. Did you know, you know why there's so many English translations? Because there's a lot of them that are written by cults. That's why there are so many English translations. There's a lot of them written by cults. Now, your English Standard Version, your New American Standard Version, your, your NAS, your, your King James Version, your New King James Version, like, you, 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 you're fine. You're good. And I, I can't name all of them, but the one that gets guys to come to your door on the Sabbath, Jehovah's Witness, the version they have, it's written by cultists. It's, it's, it cuts out a bunch of stuff they don't like. Everything that is about the atonement of Jesus, they're like, yeah, no, that's out. So anyway, that's just a little trivia for you related to the English translation. Stick with your New American Standard, your ESV, your NIV. You're, you're good. You're going to be pretty, pretty good. You're safe. There's, there's other ones as well. But. Now, he's speaking to an audience who put all of their trust and authority in the scriptures. And so for him to say, God spoke to us through the prophets, these were people that would be like, oh, yeah, no, that's true. Now, one of the things that we need to understand is this. That God is the same in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. One of the false ideas out there is that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. It's heresy. Complete wackadoodle heresy. God does not change. God speaks to us through the Old Testament as much as he speaks to us through the New Testament. And one of the helpful and beautiful things about going through Hebrews it, it is a help for us to understand how to read the Old Testament. And I know that everyone here, all of us, struggle with reading the Old Testament. Like when you're in Leviticus, in your quiet time. Maybe Deuteronomy. I mean, they're all beautiful. Like if you went, you know, went to wherever, and you're like, whoa, man, this is army. Dude, that, that, that was a graph. Yes, and it's the word of God. In a particular context, and when you look at it carefully and study it rightly and all those types of things, but it's the word of God. But Hebrews will help us understand how to interpret the Old Testament. God speaks to his people, and the people that were listening to Jesus, they would say, yes, every authority for them would have gone into understanding who the prophets were. Our authority, God spoke to us through the prophets. But in these last days, it says, he has spoken to us by his son. Now this is radical, and it's important that we understand that not only does God speak to us, but we understand that he is pointing out that Jesus is deity. Jesus is God. We're going to take a look at who Jesus is, and if we come to understand that, we're going to understand and, and rejoice in the fact that he is God. And if you're here today, and if Jesus is not God for you, then you don't know God. But we want you to know him today. But understand, Jesus is God. Not only does God speak to us, but there's a question of who is he, and this is who he is. One of the first things we'll see as we read the text is that Jesus, he is God. We will see that he is the heir of all things. We will see that he is the radiance of all the glory of God. The idea, the imagery that people would have would be in the God dwelling among people in a special place in tents, and
and there and now he's equating that with Jesus. And Jesus is the glory of God. In addition, not only is he the is he the heir of all things, and he is God, and he's the greatest glory of God, but he's also the exact imprint and nature of God. Our own children are not even an exact imprint of us. You're like, whoa, wait, wait just a second. If he's not, she's not, he's not an exact imprint. But Jesus has the very nature of God, fully God. We need to understand that Jesus has always been. The second person of the Trinity has always been. Jesus was not created. He has always been. Even though the language of the scriptures say that he is the son of God, that he, and he uses this language that we understand of, of inheriting things, he is not, he is not born in the sense like Jesus, like the second person of the Trinity had a beginning. Because he was not created. He took on flesh in real time 2,000 years ago, but he has always been. Not only does God speak to us, Jesus is the exact imprint to us. He is superior to angels. He is kept a more excellent name. Um, and here it is. From these last days, number two, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. In the next category, before we get there, we're going to get to this move about what he has done in the world. He is the radiance. There it is. The radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe. The past, we'll come back to. His word is power. After making purification for sins, we'll pass. We'll look at the next category. He sat down at the right hand of his majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as angels. So the name has been very Jesus, the more excellent than angels. The third thing is not only do we know that we need to know who Jesus is that he is God. There's an issue of what Jesus has done. There's the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. When we look at the work, what we see is that he is, he has created the world. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus created the world? Jesus just isn't just baby in the manger, Jesus. Jesus is the creator of the called the Word, and He is the creator of the universe. He has made purifications for sin. After making purifications for sin, He sat down at the right hand of God. I want to talk about purification for sin for just a moment. As Christians, one of the things we need to understand, this is something we need to herald constantly, that Jesus washed away sin through His death Atoning sacrifice on the cross for his people, for his sheep. And that's you. If you are a Christian, then he paid the price for you. He made purification for you. And if you're here today, and I realize I'm, I'm moving, I'm moving from Christian to those of you who are maybe exploring Christianity, maybe you're new to Christianity, maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian, and I want to say to you that you're welcome to come and hear. We are so glad you're here, and I want you to understand some of these, these things that are basic, that they're that things we talk about all the time because we need to be reminded of them. You see, here's the deal. We have this massive problem where every single one of us has inherited sin from the first man, Adam. Every single one of us 
From the time of our conception in our mother's womb, we had sin. And I realize that is troubling probably for some in this room to think that, like, quote, an innocent baby could have sin. But here's the thing. They're not innocent. Not one of us. Not those beautiful, wonderful babies are innocent. We are born into sin. The scriptures say when David, he heralds that he was conceived in sin. We have this massive problem. Not only do we willingly, decidedly make bad decisions, bad choices, and, and recklessly sin, but every one of us has also inherited that, that nature, from the first man, Adam. Except Jesus has not. Jesus has not. We have, but Jesus has not. And because of that problem, because of that sin, we shake our fists at God. We threaten uh, billboard makers and tell them to take things off. We, not us. We might have issue at times with coworkers. We might have issue sometimes with spouse. We might have issues sometimes with child. We might have issues sometimes with the McDonald's worker, or better yet, the person that cuts in front of you because of the stupid Dubai thing they made at McDonald's. That's working out real great, right? That's teaching everyone about justice as you like you get you're there first, and then five people in front of you, you're like, I'm here for five more hours. This line is awesome. I just want to back out. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be eating this. This fast is terrible. It's poison. I can never come here. <laughs> but you probably have made aware or have experienced your own sin, not only in your lifetime, but this very week, if not this very day. When you were driving down the street with probably a grandchild or a young person, and you just get annoyed, and your annoying part just gets frustrated and kicks into this, this sin and this, this anger that just kind of is. is inside and it kind of comes out. But you stuff it, you hide it really well, but it's there. Or maybe it's something different than that. Maybe it's something more heinous. Something like lust. Where no one else knows about. Maybe this is things that people see, but I'm saying that there are also things that no one sees. Maybe the things you do not confess. And because of those problems, brothers and sisters, we need a Savior that would pay for us. And let me tell you, the good news of the gospel is that we do have that in Jesus. The one who is the perfect radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of the nature of God who upholds the universe by his very word of power says this, that after making purification for sins, he sat at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now those are peculiar words and not language that we're accustomed to, but it's kingly language. Let me help you understand with the movies. Now just recently, there was a lot of those Marvel movies, and one of the latest ones was, uh, oh my goodness, so many different versions, you can't keep them all in your mind, Infinity War. And uh, who is the big villain in that movie? Thanos. What a name. And he is huge, right? He's a little, little, little guy in sorts, right? In that universe. Um, and Thanos is after uh, the infinity rings, which makes perfect sense because we don't know who made those. But he wants all those. 
so he's super powerful, and he wants to wipe out half the, half the population of the universe because resources are, are low, and uh, it makes perfect sense from our worldview. But that being said, he, he wants to do that, but he does something very interesting, and I think the authors of Marvel, or at least the, the movie, did something very intriguing and helpful to understand this. When he is asked by the wizard man, otherwise known as Doctor Strange, he says to Thanos, well, what are you gonna do, I'm pretty sure we can, when you wipe out half the universe so that whatever, what you do? And his answer is intriguing. He says, then I will take my rest and I will watch the sun or whatever. I just thought, that is so fascinating. Now you know where he stole those ideas, right? From the Bible. So where we got those amazing ideas, the rest of the kingship are like, well, actually we have a God in heaven who created, not destroyed, but actually created good things and beautiful. And after he said, this is good, and he actually takes his rest. God, the creator, makes his creation and he takes his rest. Not only does he do that, after sin enters the world and causes such a disruption, and God is perfectly just and fantastic to be able to be injustice in the world, um, every one of us knows that just from McDonald's line alone. We know that God needs to deal with injustice, and so God does through his son. But that being said, after Jesus takes care of this and makes purification for his people, for his elect, he does what? He takes his rest at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because Jesus came. Jesus became who he is is that he is the king and he is God. And what he has done as he is the creator of the universe, he makes purification for his people, he upholds the universe, but then he takes his rest because he is the king and he is more mighty and more important than all the angelic beings around him. Now, the fourth thing that the, the author deals with is this angelic beings that people are concerned with. And it seems strange to us, but maybe it's not so strange, because we have our own strange ideas floating around in pop culture, as it is, about angels and angelology. Well, in their day, because there was a full hundred year of God's silence, people took a lot of time to think of and write about angelology. And so in their day, in the time of Jesus, and in, in, when the scriptures were writing, there was all kinds of crazy ideas about angels. Now, here's the thing we do know. We know that the scripture actually addresses it. And what, what, what the point of what we need to know is that Jesus is actually higher than angels. Jesus is the creator. They are the created. They are servants. They are not God. But they would have been a big deal in the culture that we are in. And they're kind of a big deal in the culture that we are in. Are they not? We tend to think of them from pop culture as well, a lot of different things. I mean, one of the ways we think of them is little chubby, little chubby cherubs that are cute. You know, and shooting little darts or something like that. Maybe we don't, but the, but the imagery of the Bible is very different. The imagery that the Bible lays out is that when they show up, people are in terror. Have you noticed that? Every time when you read about them showing up, people are terrified. They show up with good news, a pronouncement about Jesus, and the shepherds are freaking out. They're scary. They show up before godly men to make a pronouncement of the coming of the Son. And people are bowing down and saying, don't bow down to me. I'm not a God. They are terrifying. But they are not God. They are angels. They are servants of God. And that's why this is where the argument is made throughout the universe. Five. For to which of the angels did God ever say, 
And this is to help the people in the audience when he's talking to see Jesus is high and lifted up, sitting at the right hand of the Father, taking his rest where he's made purification for sinners. Um, he is God. He upholds the entire universe. And he's higher than these other beings. Which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Quoting the Testament passages, he was referring to he's the son of God, Jesus. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings firstborn, uh, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So angels are made to worship God. He commands them to worship him. Now, there are certainly the rebellious ones that have went off. We know who Satan is. Although, by the way, Satan doesn't hold the candle to God, just so you know. Just so we have our angelology and our view of God right, God is not trembling over Satan. And you need to know that. And neither should you. In fact, one day we will witness God throw him into the lake of fire, and it will not be a difficult thing for him. Did you know that? So, of course, Satan and his minions can harm you. Don't be silly. Don't be crazy. Read, read the book of Jude. Don't, like, insult them. However, they don't hold the candle to God. And he says again, let all God's angels worship. In verse 7, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels wind and his ministers a flame of fire. They are servants made to worship God. But of the Son, but of the Son, and God hears the argument more, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever. A reference to Jesus and ever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Jesus' kingdom is forever and ever. His scepter is forever. In other words, he is forever. He is God. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth. Not angels. Jesus laid the foundation of the earth. Beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They are the work of the hands of Jesus. In addition, look at the perishability, new word, of his creation. First, him who is eternal. Verse 11, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. In other words, the creation will wear out. Now, I don't know how God will recreate, but I know that he will do that. Now, this doesn't mean that we should just start walk outside and throw trash all over the neighborhood because it's going to wear out. We should steward what God has given us. We should take care of what God has given us. The, the, the city that we live in, the home that we live in, the earth that we live in, but we should never worship it. But we should steward it rightly, and we should know that ultimately it will wear out and God will take care of that. But Jesus is our faith. Jesus is God and not the creation. We worship Jesus and not the creation. And we live in a culture and we live in a context where it's super easy for us to worship our bodies, to worship what we want, to worship our desires instead of worshiping the Creator. Now, I'm not knocking exercise. So when I say the things I'm saying, um, don't take it as someone who's like slightly overweight and saying, yeah, dude, like don't exercise. You shouldn't do it. Like you should exercise. And you should eat right. I'm not knocking it. It's so important. But there can come a time when you are, we are worshiping it. And it is so easy to do in our culture. The converse of that is to worship food, right? And to worship not sleeping 
and to worship unhealth. I mean, we need to steward what God has given us, but I just want to address the fact that it is super easy to let that idol rise up and worship self instead of Jesus. Worship creation instead of worship God. And it can happen to every single one of us. And however, as we think through that, we still cannot neglect the fact that we need to be stewards of our bodies. We need to be stewards of the city in which we live. We need to be stewards of the household, household in which God has given us. We keep it clean. section is an argument. And to which of the angels has he ever said, do you love that? Which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand? In other words, he's never said that to a single angel. Only Jesus. And Jesus alone is worthy of worship and praise. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Somehow we call that their ministering service. Just like the time they came out and made the proclamation and came before Mary and said, And he 